Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Saturday night in Big D, you know, they say everything's bigger in Texas, and apparently that includes tie breaks. You just saw the longest one in ATP Tour history on the campus of SMU in Dallas, all four semifinalists for American. We've got three to go. Riley Opelka just made some history. Glad you're with us on Tennis Channel Live alongside Nico Pereira and Paul Anacone. I'm Brett Haber. Yes, you counted right. Six to 46 points. 24-22, you called it. Uh, I guess it was John who flinched first. Another set's worth of tennis we had there on that tiebreaker. Nobody wanted to flinch. Only six points lost in, in all of those. And I didn't know it was a record, but uh, sure looked like it. Great serving by both guys. I just I want to know how many shirts you went through. <laughs> how many shirts did you sweat through in there? Brett and I are sitting here, and my palm's getting sweaty. Is it going to be another ace on match point? Second serve ace by Isner on match point it was, up the tee? It was nice and cozy indoors. <laughs> who, who even keeps track of when you change ends that many times? But, I mean, we were talking about it. If you play an average of, I don't know, six points per game, you, you said it nearly another set's worth of tennis. But Riley Opelka from the ground, I mean, the serving we know about, what he did from the back of the court has been impressive all week long. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was a couple key moments in, in both sets where you saw Riley scramble and get one extra ball, flick one at John, and get, inevitably that last ball got John handcuffed on a volley. Uh, I thought both guys were so composed, and it's so difficult to do when the margins are that narrow. We talk about it all the time. We talk about guys being able to serve to targets. When you serve to targets and you're 6'11 and 7 feet, there's not a lot you're going to do on the other side. It was fun. I mean, it was so much drama, and uh, I wanted to see if somebody could get to 50. <laughs> I, wanted to, I wanted to see 50, Brett. 50 points or 50 aces? 50-50 in the tiebreaker. Well, we were headed that direction. We've seen 70-68 with John before. Uh, By the way, uh, ace total for Riley was 39. The record for most aces in a best-of-three match is 45. Riley came within six aces of that record in just two sets. He was serving out of his mind. We'll have highlights from that match coming up in just a bit. But let's start our whip around of the day's best matches across the pond in Rotterdam. Stefano Tsitsipas, the top seed at the 500 event there. Paul, you predicted he might have his hands full with the qualifier Yuri Lehechka, and he did. I did. I did say don't sleep on Lehechka. 20 years of age, saw him beat Chapovalov. I've seen him play three or four times, just really sound off the back of the court. Clean ball striker, beautiful two-hander. Got the, got the break in the first and got that first set. One of the things we don't talk about enough with Stefanos, though, is how good he competes. This kid is amazingly resilient. Clawed his way back in the second set, got the 6-4 second set, and then the third became a little bit more dominant. Again, great dynamic movement. Look at the big forehand coming to the net to finish. This kid is a heck of an athlete, has a great competitive spirit, and he's getting better and better. But I really like what I saw on Lehechka. 20 years of age, gang, and a big win this week against Shapovalov and a tough day today. Still 18th career final for Tsitsipas, seeking his eighth title. Four of his first seven have come indoors. He's indoors this week. We'll see if he 
Get another one tomorrow. Second semifinal in Rotterdam. Last year's champion, Andre Rublev, taking on the dazzling young Canadian Felix Oje Aliassime. Oje Aliassime has been playing incredible this week. And the defending champion seated second this year, Rublev, with a good start. Oje had set points in that first one that went Rublev's way, but he's just been so composed. He's serving a lot better, and you see, talking about composure, there is Rublev with his fiery temper, and he had to pay for that one as Auger takes the second set, 6-4. Auger has been more consistent with that forehand that sometimes gives him trouble. I feel that's the key for the Canadians game and he's still 0-8 in finals looking for another one here. He lost one to Monfils a couple of seasons ago. That must have hurt. Talk about the need, please, Andre. Now he's going to need a knee replacement like you. Here we have him at match point. Auger with the double break in that third set. Look at the athleticism by the cat. And he takes it. And he will have a chance for that first ATP Tour title yeah, come ninth, tomorrow. Ninth final form. We'll see if he finally gets one. Here's what Felix had to say as he tries to get his first trophy. It's always you know, a great feeling. It's, it's kind of a little milestone whenever you beat a player that you, you've always lost to before, especially some of those top players you know, uh, of the game. And uh, definitely, you know, I think it's... It shows that I've, you know, I've improved my game. I'm, I'm a more, more complete player. And again, today, I, I served well when I needed to. Uh, I came up with some good shots, uh, especially in that end of the second set. I really need, needed to, you know, to stick in there and, and give myself a chance. And then to finish the way I did, yeah, against a player like Andre, it was, uh, it was great. You know, for sure, one of uh, my best sets, uh, the third set this week. All right, so here's the final in Rotterdam. It'll be Felix in his ninth career championship match, still searching for that first title. Is this the week that it happens? Steph leads the head-to-head 5-2, including the last five meetings. Paul, I guess the variable here would be the fact that Steph is still recovering from the elbow injury. He's even said in press that he's moderated his expectations. Do you believe tomorrow's the day that Felix gets one? I do, and I believe it's about him. We've seen a different Felix Auger-Aliassime this year. He started off a little choppy uh, in, in the ATP Cup, but boy, did he turn around in Australia, lost a brutal five-setter to Medvedev, mm-hmm. and should have won that match. And one of the things we're seeing is exactly what Nico talked about, a little bit more safety, a little bit more consistency on the forehand in big moments. Generally doesn't miss it, but once in a while in big moments he misses it. Hasn't lately. He is one of the best athletes on the tour and tomorrow we're going to see two of the best athletes on the ATP tour going head-to-head. I give Felix a really good shot. I think he's going to get his title tomorrow. (laughs) Me too. I have a feeling he's still traveling with Frederick from Tang, but that's why he brought Uncle Tony. The repetition of that forehand. And you see him miss sometimes two or three in a row, but when he goes for that fourth one, he's still has conviction, and I think that's going to make a big, big difference. And if Tsitsipas is not 100%, count it in for Felix. So uh, if you're a negative Nelly, you could say, well, gosh, he's played in eight finals and lost all eight of them. If you're a glass-half-full kind of guy like Paul, you, you say, go. well, look, he's made now nine finals before his 22nd birthday. The problem is, Nico, he hasn't won a set 0-16 in these finals. Well, it's easier to overcome. First, you know, point at a time. First, try and win that first set. But it's a different Felix. I think he's that much more mature. He had a lot of problems in that first set. Four set points, remember, in that tiebreak. He kept his head. And that is something that says a lot about his maturity. Yeah, I think you look at those scores and you look at some of the guys that, that he lost to. They're all Look, you don't get to a finals of a tour-level event and not be a terrific player. But it is a little shocking that he hasn't won a set in any of those finals 
But the thing I like most about it, and Brett, you and I kid about it all the time, you're better off 0 and 8 than 0 and 0. <laughs> yeah. and, and so, you know, you just got to keep doing what you're doing. And, and Nico summed it up so well, seeing less errors on that forehand, less errors in general at the big moments. Tomorrow's going to be the epitome of that test. Will it hold up in a final against a great player? Someone I respect a lot once said, keep putting yourself in the position to win, and eventually you will. That guy said that. I, I pay it. To, no, you. No, it was me. you. I was the professor. I listen to the things that he says. Let's go to Russia, St. Petersburg, to be precise. 500-level event for the women. Maria Sakari is the top seed there, taking on the veteran from Romania, Irina Kemelia Begu. Begu having a terrific week. Only unseeded player in the last four. But Maria Sakari has become such a force in the WTA Tour. And one of those players that keeps putting herself in a position to win. She loves the indoor surface. She's seated first here this week. She has embraced the pressure of having a target on her back here. You see her taking the first set, 6-4, and we go to a tiebreaker. Begu with a chance to take it to a third set, and thus this match was heart-stopping. A lot of emotions going through this one. It got very tense, nervy towards the end. Sakar here, break point at 4-all in the third set. Then forced error by Begu, and Sakar will have a chance to serve for it. Here we have him. At match point, solid passing shot, and the emotions come bursting through for Sakari, who will compete on Sunday for a title. Fourth career final for Sakari, just one title so far. Here's the second semi as Annette Conteve trying to extend her epic indoor win streak to 19 straight against the former French Open champion, Ostapenko. Uh, she's been so good indoors, has Contivate, and she's been hitting the ball so big. Today was going to be a different kind of test. Who was going to get the first strike in, and who was going to dictate with that power game? Contivate off to a great start in that first set. Beat Ostapenko to the punch, to the punch, six to three, and just keeps it going. Look at her stepping up on the baseline, not only hitting with huge pace, but taking time away as well. And right here, Ostapenko tries to come in and uses that beautiful swinging volley for a finish. She tried to change tactics because she was actually getting out hit. Look at the pace of shot from the back of the court from Contivate. And when you play like this, Brett. I think that's why you win 19 matches in a row indoors, right? That's a great segue to match point. 19th straight for Contevate as she makes her 14th career final. Here is Annette on her indoor incandescence. I've actually had a really good time on court and, and just uh, been playing good tennis and been enjoying being out there in those competitive situations. And, and uh, yeah, I think I'm trusting myself a little bit more, have a bit more confidence in my own, uh, in my own game and... Uh, I think that's that's what's helped. All right, so 19 straight indoor wins. That stands now as the sixth longest indoor streak since 1990. Still not halfway, upper left there, to Steffi's 43 from 89 through 90. Nico, what makes a great indoor player? How do you get on this list? What skills must you possess? Well, I think great movement, it's, uh, in, it's something required in, in all surfaces. But uh, for me, the, the tough part is adjusting to the conditions in which you shift from your regular life to come and play indoors. So all the players that you see there mostly have played indoors all of their life. Lindsay Davenport, our colleague, is not one of them, having grown in, in California. But, but I found it very tough to play indoors when you come in and don't see the light of day for, for a long, long time, and you have to adjust. But game-wise, the movement, it's always a key. 
Indoor players on the men's side, who, who would be, I imagine one of the guys you coached would be pretty close to the top of the list. Well, a couple of guys I coached, Roger and Pete, both Sampras and Federer, are amazing indoors for different reasons. Federer, fast feet and fast hands. Pete has fast feet, uh, but also has awesome power. And, and I think that's why you see some people that do so well indoors with power, like Lindsay. She was a great ball striker, controlled the tempo of the rallies indoor, no elements. The two guys we just saw, John Isner and Ryan. Opelka, people like that that have a controlled environment, that have a clean shot of getting the first strike in, are awesome, and they're also really difficult to beat when you combine it with lightning speed like Steffi Graf. All right. Uh, Annette will try to make it 20 in a row in the final tomorrow against Sakari. Lots more to come on TC Live on this Saturday evening, including our continuing tribute to Black History Month in tennis. Today, we talk about the clubs that were founded in America by African-Americans for African-Americans. All that as we work our way to the second semi in Dallas. Stay with us. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Back on TC Live, time to head down to South America. Second stop on the Golden Swing at the famous Buenos Aires Lawn Tennis Club Casparud top seed against hometowner Federico Del Bonis. Habes, what kind of awakening did you see Del Bonis having today? What kind of awakening? Could have been maybe a rude awakening? Oh, look at you. Uh, look at you didn't you. think I'd go there, did you? Root plays some great tennis, as we've seen, 5-3 up, closes out the first set, guys. He was dominant from neutral, winning 76% of his own second serve points and 60% of Del Bonus's punishing ground strokes. Again, we've seen this kid get so good so fast, and he continues to improve. One of the best workers on the tour, one of the best movers, has terrific composure, great genes in the family, and the second set was more of the same. Guys, look out for him at Rolling Garros. See, now, you said awakenings, and I, my head immediately went to that Robert De Niro, Robin Williams movie about the guy that was oh, in, in okay, sorry. I, I wasn't thinking I didn't the, set you up well. I, no, no, it was Gosh, fine. I'm just, I'm just an idiot. Sorry about uh, that. So, Rude, who won his first title here two years ago, will now be going after number seven tomorrow. Diego Schwartzman is the defending champion in Buenos Aires, and he had double duty today. His quarterfinal against Francisco Serondolo was postponed due to rain last night. The guys were tied at one all in the third. That, by the way, is a rematch of the final last year in Buenos Aires. They resumed it today, and uh, even though Serondolo served for the match, the same guy who won the title last year would win this match. Schwartzman, 7-5 in the third, so two Argentines in the semifinals. Let's have a wipe, and let's go to a few hours later as Schwartzman took the court against Senega. It's always a relief when you beat a countryman that you should, but this one had a different color in it. Lorenzo Senega, <laughs> some great tennis, and this match came and went in front of 5,500 fans on this Guillermo Villas center court. First set, Schwartzman was down 5-3, comes back to win four straight games and just take a listen to the crowd. Schwartzman winning that first set, 7-5, quick 
to take control in the second. After the initial break, Schwartzman looking for a second one. Sonego doing all he could, but at that point, Schwartzman had won seven straight games. Sonego, don't worry, I'll take the next six. He comes roaring back to this stunt crowd on center court and takes the second set. And in the third, Schwartzman, with a little help from his friends, Goes up 5-love, Sonego battles back to 5-2, but it's Diego Schwartzman in front of his home crowd defending the title who earns a spot in Sunday's final. You know it was with Diego, uh, Paul? The, Schwar the Schwartz was with him. The Schwartz was with him. Here's the final. If, if you're going to make a dumb reference, I'm going to make one just as dumb. Here's the final. Uh, these two guys have played each other seven times. Schwartzman has won five of the seven, but Casper has won two of the last three. Uh, who's the favorite? When does Schwartzman get tired? Well, we'll see tomorrow. He's going to have to come with a full tank, which I think is going to be tough. Casper Rude is my pick for tomorrow. How about you, Nico? Oh, I don't think Schwartzman will have the stamina to take on Casper, who's been the best clay court player after. Look Rather who has stamina. That's, well, talk uh, about stamina. That's Amarada <laughs> Do the math, Habes. How much is that? On each one of those plates, unless those are plastic phony baloney plates, she's that's lifting a lot. That's 495 pounds, isn't it? She's I, only 18 years old. That is, that, that is not fair. And she weighs 120. <laughs> Where's Prakash? Prakash has right, to check this out. Yes, she Prakash might, needs to check that. That's a ridiculous. She might be replacing wow. uh, Sakari as Prakash's favorite player. Uh, nice job, Emma. Uh, the women will be playing in Dubai this coming week. And our uh, Portuguese friend, uh, oh, what is this? This is a Berrettini uh, boss ad on the billboard in Paris? Yeah, wow. Look at this. this. How would you like to walk down the street and see your face up like that. That'd be kind of flattering. How about huh? if you're playing against him, you drive past that going to the little courts. In, little intimidating. <laughs> little in, nice job. Nice nice little shot there. Nice little ball shot for uh, our friend Matt. Wimbledon finalist and uh, fashion model on a billboard. All right. Uh, is this the one I was thinking of? Dubai. Uh, Jose Morgado, our friend from uh, Portugal, points out just how crazy his word insane the draw is in Dubai. How about this for you? When you have six versus ten in the world playing each other in a first round match, that's a pretty deep draw. <laughs> that's what you say uh, not being protected in the draw. Wow. Muguruza and Danielle Collins first round. That is going to be a brutal 500 level event. Coco Goff against Pagula in the first round. You see that on the left? Yep. Uh, that's a deep draw. We'll have coverage of that for you starting on Monday. And uh, our friend Philip Fama gives us a, an up close look at the Adidas shorts that some of the guys have been wearing this week and Apparently, they are even uglier in person than they are on TV. Are these the ones that got kind of caught in the middle of a fire, but they got them out of the fire really quickly, so only part of them got burned? Is Bounce that what happened? Bounce Driver had a thing or two to say about them this week. <laughs> that, that looks wow. like a, it's a coffee spill or something worse. Um, the fire burn. Oh, the I, I fire burn on the thigh. No? There you go. We it's, got Emer with them as well. I mean, the guys make them look as good as you can, but that's, I, I don't need to see it walking away, quite frankly. <laughs> It's just a suspect <laughs> design choice. Now, that said, there is a history in this sport of interesting Stanley. short design choices leading to great things. Obviously, Stan 2015 Roland Garros, those should, I mean, you, you could go into a seizure looking at those shorts, and he won a Grand Slam. Yeah, but the, what made it so good is he turned his pajamas actually into shorts and then won the Grand Slam. How about Andres? With the denim? With the denim. Now, were, those were, like were, the they, were they great or were they bad? I, I like the denim yeah. back in the day. Oh, definitely. They With like the attached. Them up. Yeah, it's good. 
because the, the light, the, the tights underneath were, it was a one-piece situation, right? Yeah, exactly. That was the first neon ass well there seen you go. in tennis. The pajamas will work well. Oh, Stanley, Stan. you can wear whatever you want. Just get back on tour, my friend. He's, a, he's a coming. He's we coming you, back. Bud. We need him back. Uh, all right. That's the fashion port between Berrettini and the shorts. Welcome to Fashion Week in Santa Monica. <laughs> when we come back, a man who said so long this week, a look back at Delpo. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. In tennis, we think of luck as balls that clip the net and dribble over. Oh, oh come on! Or shots that catch the back of the line. Genius! Or miss hits that somehow end up as winners. Oh, can you believe it? But there is cosmic tennis luck as well, and there is the lack of it. A few weeks from turning 21, Juan Martín del Potro won the 2009 U.S. Open, beating Roger Federer in the final. And it appeared that tennis had just minted a new generational champion. Here was a six-foot, six-inch Argentine with a lasso of a forehand, a game built for all surfaces, and a winning personality. The tennis fates, though, had other ideas. After that New York breakthrough, Del Potro's prime years were robbed. Injuries to both of his wrists, especially the left one, kept him off the courts for essentially years. There were multiple knee surgeries as well. At one point, in what should have been the meatiest years of his career, he missed nine straight majors. Del Potro, who just announced his retirement from tennis, will be synonymous with a career robbed by a body in a constant state of betrayal. But if we're going to wonder, oh, what could have been, let's also marvel at what was. Del Potro never added another major to his hall, but even physically compromised as he was, he won 22 titles, more than $25 million in prize money, and got to number three in the rankings. He won medals in both the 2012 and 2016 Olympics. In London, he beat Novak Djokovic in the bronze medal match and was reduced to tears. In Rio, despite representing the rival country, he was the toast of the tournament. As recently as 2018, Del Potro was beating Federer to win Indian Wells and Nadal to reach the U.S. Open final. And then, inevitably, the injuries. A fractured kneecap that fall sidelined him for all but one major in 2019. And by then, he'd been through enough rehab for any 10 players. Enough of the physical pain, enough of the spiritual pain, enough of the cruelty of it all. Enough. He was crying, Del Potro. Djokovic trying to hug it out with him. Del Potro is likely to surface at the Hall of Fame. It's the least the sport can do for the guy, a way to start chipping away at the debt. 
a player so beloved and so decent who could never catch a break. Fortune never seemed to smile much on Juan Del Potro, but everyone else sure did. Every player's career ends one way or another. In this case, unfortunately, it was not in a way of Del Potro's choosing. Paul, you were talking about the end of your career, and at some point for you, as, as it seems to have been for Juan Martin, you get tired of the pain, right? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to put myself in the same sentence with him with his accolades in terms of achievements, but every athlete starts to want to go through their process where they want to do it on their own terms. And there comes a point in time where you decide you can or you can't. For me personally, it was herniated discs in my back, degenerative arthritic stuff through my spine. I had a lot of different things that I just got tired of hurting so much. And with a great player like this that was so good so early and had so, you know, just so much potential, as a fan, my heart breaks for the guy uh, because I love playing him and most imp- uh, we'll love watching him play. But most importantly, I have so much respect for people that do it with the class and humility that, that he has. No, no one would question that. I, I wonder, Nico, when you think of Del Potro, do you think about what he achieved, which was significant with a Grand Slam title, damage at Masters 1000s, 22 singles titles, or do you think about what he might have done had his body been more cooperative? Well, you can't help but to think of that. But on the other hand, I try to think of what he achieved and what he meant for Latin American, for Argentinian tennis. And it was a lot. It was a humble guy that made good. He was competing and beating the myths, the legends of our game. He won that Grand Slam title. Don't forget, he gave Argentina the first and only Davis Cup uh, uh, title that that country has ever earned. And that country, it's, uh, it's tennis uh, devoted. It's the second most popular sport. And Juan Martin transcended tennis. And it's just a national He had a couple of signature moments in his career, the Olympics, the U.S. Open title, that Davis Cup with Del Bonas clinching on the final day in 2016. But when I think of Juan Martin, Paul, I think of the sound, the sound that his forehand made. It was you you didn't have to know he was playing, but you could hear he was playing because no other ground stroke sounded like his forehand. No, I mean, uh, we've seen a lot of great forehands in the game of tennis. I'm not sure any forehand has gone through the court the way his does and can on the on the given moment. I, I remember um, in uh, 2012 watching he and Roger when I was coaching Roger Federer. Have I told you I was coaching? Coach I Roger did Federer? hear that yeah. you did that. Once. Um, yeah. Sitting in the stands in the semifinal match just to figure out who was going to play for the gold and silver in that marathon match of three sets. Mm. And there were a few forehands he hit, and I literally would sit there and just said, that just sounds different. It just sounds different when the ball comes off his racket. He had so much power, but uh, again, the grace and the humility just resonates. There are some great players in the game. There are a few great players that transcend the game. There are fewer great players that transcend the game with the class that he has. And if you saw the match when he played Del Bonas, and so fitting that it was Del Bonas who was on the other side of the net for his final match because those were the two guys who clinched that Davis Cup title for Argentina, it, it was tennis stars. It was other sports stars who came out that night. It was politicians in Argentina, celebrities from from entertainment. I think that spoke to what an impact that Juan Martin had, not just within the lines on the tennis court, but in general crossover culture in Argentina and South America. Yeah, tickets were gone in minutes a couple of weeks before the event when he announced that he was going to play. There were signs on the street thanking him for what he had 
given the country that Davis Cup uh, is right on top. I believe it's even uh, bigger than his U.S. Open and his medals uh, to the people of Argentina and that uh, demonstrated. And there were no more people there because it's vacation, it's summertime, <laughs> and they're all by the beach. But I tell you what, the whole country was at a standstill. He's going to be joining him there by the beach pretty soon. He certainly deserves it. Uh, just to talk about how rare what he achieved was in the era of the big three, Del Potro won one of just seven Grand Slam titles from 2004 to the present that was won by somebody other than Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal. There have been seven other than those three guys, and it raises the question, you know, what might Juan Martin have done? What might Andy Roddick have done? What might a lot of other guys have done had there been less resistance from those three right. beings? Look, Chilich had some pretty close calls, right? He had break points to go uh, in the finals against Roger in Australia to win his second Merritt Safin, in my opinion, is one of the most tennis, uh, most talented tennis players I have ever seen. Uh, that number one next to him with one major title is a little bit surprising because of the level of talent. But it just goes to show you these three guys, first of all, they're so greedy. Okay? Yeah. They're so greedy. Second of all, the immense talent that the three icons have that have played in this era is just incredible that they've been able to dominate between the three that many, uh, that many major titles. It's been just something I don't think we'll ever see again. Borderline, borderline hoarding. Yeah, it is. <laughs> They're hoarding all those. And, and by the way, it's worth pointing out that obviously his biggest achievement, uh, whether it's the Davis Cup, but from an individual standpoint, was winning the U.S. Open in 2009. He came all the way back from the four wrist surgeries, three on one side, one on the other, and had his highest ranking of three in the world in 2018 after he made his second U.S. Open final. It's not like he was done after 2009, went through four surgeries, built it all the way back to top five, and then had the knee issues again. Uh, he managed to develop his game in, in great ways, especially that backhand, the one-handed slice yes. that he learned when he had the, the left uh, uh, wrist problem. So Juan Martin is one that kept working two years, two and a half years since his uh, last uh, knee surgery. And he left the door open. He said he, he was going to retire, hmm. but he was going to seek treatment, and, and uh, he left a bit of an opening there. Yeah, that pain starts to wear you down, I can yeah. tell you that. And for this guy, I mean, that's amazing. You think about what he went through. Mm -hmm. and developed. Remember, we were watching at the beginning with that slice backhand, yeah. and I remember sitting in the commentary booth looking at you, Habes, and looking at no others. No way. This is yeah. going to be rough. And then number three in the world, 2018, gets through all of that stuff. U.S. Open final again. I mean, the guy's incredible. He is an incredible athlete, has a huge heart, um, and his ability to compete through adversity with all of the stuff that he's gone through physically is just mind-boggling. Uh, it wasn't on his terms, the goodbye, but it was certainly graceful. And if there was a, a more poignant way of going out than taking the headband off of his head, draping it over the center of the net in his hometown, you'll have to show it to us because that was awfully neat. We'll take a break here, come back with more on TC Live, working our way towards the second semi in Dallas, Giron, and Brooksby. Back on Tennis Channel Live, that's the Indian Wells Tennis Garden, and we're going to be there in a couple of weeks. Tennis Channel once again, proud to be the exclusive home of the BNP Paribas Open. First ball to last, men and women. Our coverage from the California desert in our second-story apartment inside the stadium starts on Wednesday, March the 9th. 
All right, hot shot of the day comes from Andre Rublev, his match against FAA. He's in the far court here. This is a little subtle, but I like it. Yeah, it just takes a lot of balance, a lot of talent. Look at the change of directions and a little sneaky slice short backhand against a great athlete. And if you can get it past FAA without him barely touching it, that means you've done something pretty darn well. Right here behind him, just a little shuffle step and a little flick of the wrist. The athleticism on Jose LSM as well makes it even more impressive because these two guys can cover the call. Great athletes. The court amazingly. That was a fun match. Let's talk about the finals that we're going to have for you tomorrow, Championship Sunday. Our center court coverage continues from all four of our venues this week. Here they all are in order, and we haven't quite got Riley's opponent figured out yet, but we'll determine that for you coming up next here with our second semifinal. But let's go in order, and let's get your take on these four finals these three finals in a semi. Let's start with the women in St. Petersburg. Paul, does Contivate continue her indoor dominance or does Sakari get title number two? I think Contivate wins. I think she's going to continue the role. She's been playing incredibly uh, confident tennis, and I think that's what's going to get her through the finals. Look, uh, Sakari, we know how talented she is. We know how heavy she hits the ball from the back of the court, but I think a in-form and extremely confident Contivate takes this one. I would have to agree with uh, yes. Professor Anacone here. Yes. I just think Contivate ha has been so steady mentally. She, she's, we talked about her streak. And Zachary, when it comes to finals, when it comes to decision time, tennis sometimes, emotions get the better of herself. I give Contivate a bit of an edge. All right, we'll see. Uh, Contivate would extend to 20. It would be her fourth consecutive indoor title. That's how you get 20 wins in a row. Let's look at Rotterdam, Felix, and Sitsipas. So, Nico. Ninth final, is this the one that's a charm for uh, Felix? I think so. Said it a couple of days ago. I feel it. You know, I feel it for Felix. I, I think uh, he's there with the forehand, and uh, that's going to be the trick. Tsitsipas said himself he's not 100%. So this is a, a big chance. And as uh, Paul noted earlier, he's lost those finals against players that in paper he should have beat. I think he comes up with the goods tomorrow. Yeah, I think he's getting more comfortable uh, in this situation, and we're seeing it throughout some of the matches that he's playing leading up to the finals, and we're going to see tomorrow if the nerves and the confidence in the big moments hold up. But if he continues to serve like he's serving and uses that dynamic, great athleticism, he has a heck of a shot. I think he's got the edge. These are the most, I think, these could be the two most fun players to watch because of the dynamic movement, all different areas of the court, lateral, forward, back, etc. The, the X factor for me is the Sitsipas elbow. He dropped a set today to the world number 137. Can you tell from watching him play, is he is he 100%? Is he 90%? Can you, is it affecting him to your eye? Well, for me, it looked fine. You know, I got nervous during the ATP Cup when he pulled, didn't play the first match, and he said, oh, I hope it's going to be 100% next week. Then the day after the doubles of his first match, ATP Cup, he didn't even hit because it felt so bad. But ever since then, he's looked pretty sharp to me. Have you noticed anything? Not before? at all. I've seen him swing freely, and he's hitting the ball as good as always. And his forehand is just very, very heavy, and that's very disruptive. Let's see how Auger manages that and how he serves. I don't think he had a coaching warning today either. <laughs> Thomas Anquist, baby, good pickup. The Swedes He's keep it player. nice and medium in the coaching box. All right, let's look at Buenos Aires. Diego Schwartzman's going to play for the fourth time in like 24 hours against Casper <laughs> Ruud. Diego does lead the head-to-head 5-2. What do you expect in this one? I think Ruud is head and shoulders the better player these days, especially on the clay. He got stronger. He's the second-best player on clay after Rafa. 
for me, the way he's playing today and what you just mentioned. Diego has played a lot in the last 24 hours. It is very emotional for him to play down there. And unless the crowd plays a major part, but Diego has to keep it close in order for that to happen, I, I favor Rude. Yeah, you know the area so well. What do you, what's going to, the crowd, what's that going to do to Rude? What do you... well, I think Rude likes the Argentinian yeah, culture. He he, that was his first title. He respects you know, the elders, and that is what Schwarzman is. I don't think Rudy is, is going to lose to the shirt, as we say down there. <laughs> uh, but he, I think he's the better player. But if Diego takes it uh, to an emotional place, he, that's when he has the better chance. Yeah, oh. I think that's where the crowd could help. But I got to go with Rudy. I, I got to yes. go with I just hope Diego doesn't have a Rude awakening, though, tomorrow. Brett. Right. I thought we were done with that portion of the show. Apparently not. <laughs> Before we preview the semifinal that we have coming up for you from Dallas, let's show you the highlights from the first one that you just saw on Tennis Channel. Nico, you called it. How do you narrate two hours of aces? Well, a lot of storytelling, a lot of comparisons. <laughs> you go back to the paper, you take the tweets, you, you, you expand on them. But we said at the beginning of this one that Opelka was more solid from the back, and I think that's what gave him the win, and he served better than Isner. Opelka serving 70% of the total aces in this one. Ch chances for both guys, and this was the second set tiebreaker when it was a set point or it was a match point, and Paulie, this one's something to behold. It was unbelievable. Every big moment, I waited, and I was just wondering, is, the guy, is whoever was down a set point or a match point, are they just going to guess, or are they not going to guess? And right there, that's the final moment where Riley got through and it is it's mental warfare for those guys because they really just have to pick a corner and see if they can get to neutral and get a good wrap in. All right so a couple of facts on this one if you're just joining us 24-22 we're being told <laughs> longest singles tie break in ATP history since records have been kept 39 aces for Riley Opelka the most ever in a two-set tennis match and this was the or these were the 11th and 12th straight tiebreak sets that John and Riley have played against one another, 60 aces combined. The record for most aces in a, in a best-of-three match was 45. These guys only played two, and Riley came up just six short of the record. I'll tell you what, just amazing stuff to watch. And I felt terrible for John because I thought he did a great job to create opportunities. And then Riley, I think you summed it up. Riley was just a little better from neutral in the back of the court at big moments. And then it's a dart throwing contest. These two were very even. Riley, 13 years younger. But today they were tied in the live rankings. Riley's taping a, a bit ahead. But I'm sure he credits uh, John Isner with uh, you know, the, being the trailblazer for uh, American tennis for the last 15 years. He is the uh, president of Bobtown. I guess uh, Riley's just the governor. Guys are getting ready to walk for semi number two in Dallas. Paul, how about a quick thought on Jensen Brooksby and Marcos Giron, who took out your man Taylor Fritz the other day? Marcos played great tennis yesterday. He's going to need to bring it again today. If not, he's going to struggle. Brooksby's so good at opening up the court and making you uncomfortable. Giron's got to get the first strike in and see if he can do a good job holding his own serve. Get ready for some great rallies in this one. I wonder how Giron might recover from that brutal match against Taylor Fritz. Sorry about that one, Paul, but Brooksby is just wonderful to watch. I'm going to really enjoy this one, and you guys are going to call it. We, we got the pizza in. We, oh, did you finally get the free pizza that you've been begging yeah, for? Nico. Oh, that's yeah. nice of them. <laughs> All right, uh, here comes Marcos Giron. He's a very compelling character, and Jensen Brooksby playing in just the 10th main draw tournament of his entire tour-level career, and already in his fourth semifinal, Paul, this guy has captured a lot 
lot of attention of American tennis fans. You're going to get to see him with your own eyes coming up here. Second semi live on Tennis Channel. Nico will see you tomorrow. TC Live is done. The live tennis continues right after this.